I'm for this amount of this level of violence in this. I, I don't know if that's if this is is totally not in keeping with Wheel of Time, but I know that they're trying to capture some of the the Game of Thrones audience here, with the you know Rand being in a sexual relationship and yeah. The, the, and the show continues to do this. It has occasional moments of like hyper violence and gore. Yeah. And it still comes out of nowhere a little bit for me. Like the, the rest of the show just doesn't sell that like that's the kind of show it is, and then all of a sudden you'll see some insane gore. Like that that impale moment is horrific. Welcome friends to episode 285 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And I'm writer Luke Elliott. And this week we discuss the first half of season two of Rafe Judkins TV series, The Wheel of Time. That's right. We're back with the first four episodes of season two. Um, I, I'm excited to get back into this thing, man. It's been a couple years now, and I had to go back and listen to a little bit of our previous coverage to remind myself of how, you know, how I took that first season. I went into this excited and I'm brimming with thoughts. Season one built up some goodwill. There were some character changes that we were not fans of and you're a longtime fan. I'm a new uh, fan coming to this. So go check out our previous coverage from season one if you're interested in that and then definitely check out at least last week's episode so you're caught up <laughs> on where we're at with this thing. Yeah, but if you don't want to do that, that's cool. I'll just introduce real quick that I have a long history with the series. I've read all the books except for, I think, the final one. Um, but it's been a long time, so I've forgotten a lot of the stuff. Um, but I do have that kind of experience going in, and James is brand new to it. Yeah, big fantasy fan in general. It's something that I've been not reading specifically for the podcast, so that's kind of the conceit of this, is hopefully I'm coming <laughs> in like as a fantasy fan, but yeah. excited to check out Robert Jordan's epic series. So you touched on some of the stuff we brought up about season one. Just briefly, like it was a very mixed bag is my memory of it. It was a lot of good. I remember feeling like they were almost shoving too much into each episode. It felt a little rushed. They were trying to bring up a lot of stuff that happened in later books for other characters and bring it into that opening story. I understand why they did that, but they were like trying to jumpstart all of these like long-term character arcs and some of the decisions that were made. I remember disliking um, I still am not a fan of having Perrin kill his wife in the first episode. Yeah. Um, I still think that was a mistake. I, I understand why they did it. Um, we, we've sort of talked ad nauseum about that in our, our previous episodes, but um, there's just certain little character things that I didn't like. And then I remember that the finale of season one, I think a lot of issues kind of rear their ugly head again. And we remember, uh, reading about there was some difficulties shooting those final episodes, especially that final one. And um, some stuff had to get reconfigured with um, the departure of the former actor playing Matt and the, mm -hmm. the the new actor coming on now for season two. And there were just things that got all jumbled there at the end. I think it was shot around the time of COVID. So like things got yeah. tricky with that. The last few episodes definitely was affected because they were filming, I believe in Prague, right when, uh, the outbreak of COVID-19 happened in 2020. And um, I did read that the actor who played Matt, uh, he has like since released like a statement and it, but it has said it's for very personal reasons. And th that's the reason he didn't come back. But, you know, internet sleuths have found him 
filing a legal complaint, um, asking Google to re remove uh, certain false rumors from search terms associated with him. So some of those included like he refused to get a uh, COVID-19 vaccine, some of that other stuff. So it sounds like that's not what it is necessarily, but yeah. it's still a mystery. And I don't know if we'll ever know. Yeah. And that's fine. You know what I mean? Like the actors don't have to, do, you know what I mean? Like it can be a personal reason. He doesn't have to share that with the world. I just think a lot of people took it to be a negative. Something yeah. Bad and happened. I remember hearing those rumors. I don't recall perpetrating those on our podcast i hope we didn't say that or if we did we at least said it was a rumor but um yeah i remember hearing some of that stuff um it doesn't matter ultimately for whatever reason he chose to leave the show that happens all the time for all kinds of different reasons for people mm -hmm. um and we we got a we got a new performer in donald flynn is the new matt Cawthon, and uh, i think he's doing a pretty good job so far i i don't know that he's gotten to really shine yet um i think w that will hopefully come more in the following episodes. Um, but yeah, I think he's pretty good. I, I Honestly, solid. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I like the personality he's bringing. I can feel some of Matt. There's this like, uh, he's like timed out the beats of like the locks for the door that he's in and yeah. then like the person walking away. There's some little stuff like that that I was like, okay, we're bringing some fun personality and he's like obviously going, it's like a tough thing for for an actor to come in in this part of the story for Matt because it's very like dark and overbearing. It's always tough when you're taking over a character in, in you don't get to like develop them. You're working off of somebody else's work developing the character. So that's always tricky. Matt starts as kind of a jokester, kind of fun loving, that kind of and he didn't get to do that part. He has to do like the darker part, but then he's yeah. still able to thread in some of that here. So I think he's doing a good job. Just revisiting a little bit, I still think Rosamund Pike and uh Daniel Henney as Moraine and Lan uh are our two standout performances. Um I remember early on being a little bit hesitant um for both of them. Like I, I they were clearly good actors, but they're such important characters for the series and I had such an ingrained sense of who they were. Um, it took me a little bit to get on board, but like, I, I'm just really loving what they're doing with it, especially Lan. Like, I, you know, Daniel Henney is Lan. I, he's bringing something to the character that is different than the book, but it, it is so, it feels so perfectly enmeshed with the Lan from the book to me yeah. um, that I just continue to just love watching him on screen and their relationship is playing out. There's some changes as to what's going on with them. Um, but it's, it's good drama. I tend to just love watching them on screen. Yeah. Um, I, I continue to think our, our main, our three main dudes, Rand, Perrin, and Matt, all are just kind of okay. They have moments here and there where they shine a little bit, but they're all just have been kind of serviceable to me so far. Um, I, I, the, I feel like the book's just not out on them yet, and I'm hoping they can continue to grow into these roles. Um, and, and maybe they do even in the season. But at least through the first four episodes, there wasn't a lot for me to go like, wow, they're, he's really killing it. Um, and that's how I feel about a lot of the performances. Um, you know, and I, basically I'll mention a few standouts and then like everybody else has just kind of been OK. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think I think Moraine and Lan are definitely just excellent. I, I think Nynaeve has quickly shown to, to yeah. she's she's Zoe Robbins. Yeah. She, she's very good, I think, and starting to develop in a way. I, I would agree. I thought Rand early on in this in this first half of the season, I was like, oh, okay, he's kind of embodying it in a in a way that I can believe is the Rand from the book a little more. And then like this final episode, he had s some stuff where I was like, oh, okay, this is reminding me some of season one, some of the problems I had with him. I, I guess just to address season two, we, we had high expectations for the show with season one. Didn't quite meet all expectations, but this season two has been pleasantly surprising and I've been, this is what I wanted out of a season two. I do think they're taking some steps in the right direction. I have been 
I've been enthralled. Like I've been pulled in and maybe that has to do with my investment level from the book. I want to say that there's there that they're writing the ship and and I want to see a lot more of this. Now, this is halfway through and we know how yeah. season 1 ended, but I I didn't ha- find myself in many scenarios being like even and and granted some of the changes that they made in season 1 and some of the changes they're making here in season 2, I'm sure will reverberate and have huge ramifications coming forward most of them are pretty smart most of the changes although the parent stuff continues to unfortunately be like hampering his character we finally get elias which we'll get to when we get into our plot synopsis but like some of the stuff that we're missing from book one we get a little bit of that here so i'm glad for that I, i think one of my main criticisms of the show has continued to be a bit of a stumbling point for me and that's that it it does still feel like because there isn't such an immense amount of stuff to get to that we are rapidly going from thing to thing. Like, yeah. I have book knowledge that I think helps pad it out for me. And even you, like, you have read at least the first book and a half. So you have, like, the background of this part of the story for the most that's, part. That's kind of true, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of it as both rather than just somebody coming to the show. And that's my problem. Th- I'm trying to imagine the show only watcher, which I think a lot of the people who are watching this show are going to be like that. Yes, Real Time has tons of book reader fans, but, like, average audiences it's still going to be a large proportion of them have never read the books it feels to me like for them we're rapidly bouncing around from character to character thing to thing happening a lot of times stuff happens with very little like preamble just sort of happens and before you can even really wrap your head around what just happened another crazy thing's happening and we're just like rapidly going through all this stuff and um it feels a little bit jumbled and just like rushed at times it's not bad it's just like i i i wish the show could like take a little more time some you know a little bit like again i think we only have what eight episodes again this season like i kind of wish they'd drawn this out to like a 10 or 12 episodes and like given stuff stuff a little more time to develop and the things that they do choose to develop a little bit like the celine stuff we'll get to it's an interesting choice because i i again don't know how well it's playing to people who haven't read the books who have no idea who this is to get to that a little bit they had to they they changed the portal stone situation which i thought was like a smart change if you're going to adapt a show like that can be very it was going to be tough to to get all that into the show yeah and not have it be completely bewildering the first episode not including much of rand was a really smart choice because i i think it allowed those other characters to shine a little more in that first episode and that did help me feel like the pacing wasn't breakneck from the start. And I, I actually wanted to like commend them for slowing it down a little bit. But I do see what you're if I was just to come to it as a as a show watcher, I think you're right. I think there's a it's it's a bit much, but I think you could say the same for like early game of there's Thrones. There's a couple right? of key moments I'll touch on that I think are examples of this, because right now I'm just speaking generally because I don't want to get into the weeds of like right. specifics until we get to the episodes proper. There are a few specific moments I'm thinking of. Um, but yeah, it's not like it's all the time. It's just um, we're drawing in stuff from books three and I think some from book four. I can't remember exactly, but we're bringing all this stuff forward yeah. and putting it here. And like Robert Jordan, I think when he was writing it, realized like you got to kind of wait and let this stuff develop a little more before you start bringing it all in. But Rafe Judkins is looking at this and saying like we have this ensemble cast. They all have to have simultaneous plot lines playing out. We're not just going to relegate all these other characters to the sideline, which often robert jordan would do so he's bringing a lot of stuff up earlier but because of that 
it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's just a lot. I'm in agreement with you. They, I would love more episodes of this and to slow it down a little bit. Maybe have a season for both. Don't don't blend in two and three and four if if possible. But I do think that like a fantasy show asking a lot of its audience, it's fine. I think that that's like some some fantasy fans are willing to 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 take the dive and get into it. And then maybe as the show develops a little more over time and they hear good buzz about it, then the the larger general audience comes to it and gives it gives it a really fair shot. I hope that happens. Happens. I haven't been like following critical reaction to season two. I'm friends with a bunch of people on Twitter and stuff or whatever social media app I'm on these days who have been who have been reacting to stuff. And I try not to like read too much because I hadn't got to it yet. But like I kind of, you know, can read the tea leaves a little bit from some people. And it seems like there's been mostly positive reactions to this season. But it also seems like not as many people are talking about it. Yeah. As season one. Yeah, that's the curse of the show, right? Is that like it's not the most marketed show out there and it's a massive fantasy show. And, you you, you know, it's I think it is trying to capture that George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones audience. Yeah. And I think it kind of overshadowed by Rings of Power when it came out, which is Amazon's other fantasy series that it spent way more money on. Um, it, not, and it spent a good amount of money on this, but it spent insane amounts of money in Rings of Power. And I wonder if like that became the one. I don't know if that like drew a little bit of the the shine off of Wheel of Time. It's funny that you say that. Like, I don't have the the numbers in front of me, but but I know for a fact in the U.S. like only like thirty five or forty percent of people who started Rings of Power on Amazon finished it. So that's wow. a bad sign for Rings of Power. Now this show, on the other hand, season one of of Wheel of Time did not have that issue. Okay, it was actually like during the week that it came out it was one of the most popular yeah. shows. Out I remember there. we were talking about it. it was like one of the best releases they'd had for a new show and all this stuff. So. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, we better get into it, man. We, we got four episodes to cover. Um, we're going to go go through sequentially. We'll try and keep our, our discussion sort of centered on what happens in that episode. So you should be safe if you haven't, you know, watched beyond where, where we are. Um, and uh, we'll try and keep our discussions to around 10 minutes per episode just to keep this thing manageable. And another thing that we usually do in our coverage is we talk about the artists. Usually we talk about the author, the showrunner, filmmaker. Uh, in this case, Rafe Jughens, we have talked about in our previous coverage in season one. So I'll just recap really quickly that he's an American television writer, producer and screenwriter. He's the showrunner for Wheel of Time. And he actually appeared as a contestant. This is such an interesting uh, little bit of trivia that I love hearing about. He's appeared as a contestant on 11th season of Survivor. Yeah, we talked uh, about that in our, our first episode. I couldn't remember this, if we show. definitely mentioned that, but that is no, just we like definitely do. A, I love that. It's <laughs> hilarious. You can get a, a deep dive on him. If you, I guess if you watch season 11 of Survivor, you can get into the <laughs> the psyche and the mind of Rafe Judkins. Yeah. Uh, episode one of this season is called A Taste of Solitude. A secret meeting of dark friends takes place where Ishamael, the Dark One's most powerful servant and forsaken, decides to observe Randall Thor, the Dragon Reborn, instead of killing him. After the events at the Eye, Moiraine has been residing with Adelius and Varen, her fellow Aes Sedai, gathering information while struggling to come to terms with the loss of the One Power. Meanwhile, Egwene and Nynaeve have become novices at the White Tower. Egwene is determined to succeed, but is frustrated by the lack of recognition, while Nynaeve is struggling with a power block, only channeling when she is angry or afraid. Leandrin offers to train Nynaeve, but the other Aes Sedai are hesitant because Leandrin's previous teachings had caused the deaths of novices. Perrin and Loyal have joined a company of Shinarans, led by Ingtar Shinoa, to search for the horn which Padden Fane has stolen, joined by Elias, a sniffer, who shows interest in Perrin. Egwene and Nynaeve miss Matt, Perrin, and Rand, who they believe is dead. However, Leandrin has imprisoned Matt in the tower at Moiraine's request while Rand is hiding. 
Moiraine leaves to follow up on her plans alone, but is attacked by three fades. Lan tries to save her, but they are both injured. Varen and Adelius intervene, rescuing them. First off, I gotta I gotta talk to you about this Ashamael stuff. Um, yes, this is why I was confused last week. Yeah. Do you remember when I was asking f whether it was a Forsaken or the Dark One himself? Yeah, so I, I I didn't know if that had been revealed yet, and I it kind of is here, but I feel like it's they don't do a good job of like sh like saying like yeah, it was kind of a misdirect. You know what I mean? Because like right. he was acting like he was the Dark One. I 100% agree, and that's why I was confused. Even like, because you know, it's been two years since I read the book, which would have been the factual, you know, that would have been the source that I would be looking to. But then the show kind of diverted me, and then my memory was kind of jumbled. Well, even in the show, I think he was pretending to be the dark one, and here I mean, it, yeah. it's just it's just kind of dropped that he's not that he's mm -hmm. actually the like the the head lieutenant of the dark one. Right, and it's just kind of like blown past, but like. Yeah, what was your what is your reaction to finding that out that like this guy all along who we've thought that like Rand has been talking to that we thought was the dark one is actually a Shamael? It recontextualizes some stuff at the end of season one for me because I thought that if it was the dark one that it was kind of underwhelming at, yeah. for a confrontation at the end of season one. Um, and again, maybe it, they did make it clear in season one and I'm just misremembering, but I, I felt like that person who we keep seeing that actor was both supposedly one of the forsaken but also the dark one kind of reincarnated yeah. or something like that well i think they're playing fast and loose with it a little bit because there are times where he says like oh people call me many things including father of lies and stuff like that that is like stuff they call the dark one yep. so they're still playing a little bit like both ways but then moraine mentions you know the strongest lieutenant of of the dark one ishamael and like if you if you turn captions on, it says Ashamael whenever he talks, so you know it's him. So again, like there are things that the show is like basically revealing here. Um, it, I I just don't know that this reveal was handled like super well, but yeah, ultimately, it's the reveal. Um, <laughs> Ishamael has been sort of pretending to be the Dark One, or at least allowing people to believe that he is the Dark One. Um, but he is the one who seems to be pulling all these strings early on and like orchestrating all of this, trying to get the other Forsaken released and trying to, you know, make sure that the Dark One can actually be released in full from behind all these seals. Yeah. So you asked me a question last week that I had, I think, knowledge of because of season one. And that had to do with how the power was tainted. And I think season one actually tells us how Sidin, the male side of the the connection or the source the uh, had power. been tainted mm -hmm. the one power why why it had and so then going into book two the first half i think it's still kind of a mystery in the book but i already knew that it was somewhat yeah. because of decision making process of of uh yeah. the Luke show has spoiled some stuff for the books for yeah. you that's just how it's yeah. gonna go yeah so i wanted to address that and then also i forgot in in i think the beginning of the last episode of season one we saw Luz theron telemon talking and, and yeah. like it was sort of him making that decision. So that was another cool recap that I got before I started season two. And I'm like, man, there's some cool lore stuff that we've been given already that I don't know that we've had fleshed. I know like the beginning of the of the eye of the world has something similar to that as well. But yeah. it's it's cool when you start to try to put the pieces together and it's all it's all kind of there for you. Let's talk about Varen. Varen's introduced. Um, she's kind of combined with another character from the books. Um, and I think in a way, just economy of characters that makes sense. 
she's with um she's with another Isidai at this like like farmhouse or something where Moraine's staying in the book it's two different Aesidae not Varen but it's fine and uh you but she's still the brown she's still someone who is like got all this knowledge and she's been researching stuff and she's she guesses some of what's going on with Moraine I don't know if it's in this episode or in, or in a few subsequent one but mm-hmm. what was your take on Varen one of our, our main like new characters who got introduced here yeah I like Varen um I didn't get as as uh sketchy of a vibe from her as i did in the book i think here very clearly early on she seems like she's um i don't know more righteous it seems like she's definitely got some i don't know if it's in this episode or later but they they have some back and forth and moraine's like you have to make a making a an oath to me and she's like well i'm not gonna do that because that kind of locks me up and i can't lie so it's it's cool to see that like moraine's not the only person who has these elaborate plans and everything like that so definitely not <laughs> it is something that ace and i love to do uh, yeah i mean I, last week you mentioned that uh you thought she might be a dark friend because we had it revealed in an opening chapter that there are several dark friends among the, the ace and i leandrin was the other one that i thought uh could yeah. possibly be a dark one friend and i'm still i think they're doing more with her story which we can get to but still convinced she's like yeah. not on the straight and narrow. Leandrin, unless there's a bunch of stuff from later books I'm forgetting, it seems to me that they're also partially inventing new stuff for her, maybe combining other plot lines from some other characters just yeah. to make her a little bit more, even more central, mm-hmm. um, which you're going to do that again, economy of characters. There are so many characters in the, in the series. That yeah. It makes sense to combine some of them. It's really interesting. Cause like some characters have like, I think Perrin gets a moment that Rand was supposed to have on the, on yes. the track, on the journey. Like, and then the same thing happens where Seeing Leandrin the is in the, in the town. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and the same thing happens thinking. where Leandrin is, is getting, uh, is giving the training to yep. to Egwene rather than that the Suwin was the one who did it in the books, yeah. So and we haven't seen Suwin at all in, in the show yet. Not so in this far. season. Yeah. Not this season yet. Excuse me. Yeah, we haven't seen her this season yet. Yeah, no, you're right. There, there's been some juggling around of stuff. I kind of like Leandrin in this role. It, it makes her more present, and it also gives like a real danger to this training. Um, there's like a, like a threat to it of like, oh, she's killed somebody in the past, and or like led to their death, and. You know, it, it's some interesting stuff. It's starting to develop this magic school stuff, which, by the way, a lot of this stuff we have not gotten to yet in the books at all. No, so. second half of uh, The Great Hunt, I assume we're going to see some of that in, in the novel. But maybe maybe it's, you know, book three, four. I'm not sure. But I, I did like seeing the practicality of the magic when they're learning to to weave the, the stone and the air or the water to filter it. Yeah, that was cool. Drinking the shit water. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, gross, Nynaeve! Why did you do that?" <laughs> Nynaeve's just like, "I'm down the shit water." Maybe it's not shit. Maybe it's supposed to just be dirt. It's like but... dirty plate water, I think. Right? <laughs> I thought maybe it was like the the shit water from the room. <laughs> yeah, that would be rough, man. That would be they would be a lot more motivated to uh, filter that water well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we get Elias again. This is a character who was important in book one. We finally get him in the show, which we hadn't gotten him at all. I actually think they're making good. They're making good on reaction to the fans is what I'm assuming here, because I think people were Maybe I was, was bummed. That, I don't know. I was bummed <laughs> that Elias wasn't in the first one because we saw yeah. we saw Perrin um, like interacting with wolves and like he, he showed up in the eye of the world. At he that needs point. a mentor character to, to guide yeah. him into this. Into his and I thought this guy was yeah. great as Elias. I was like, this is cool as hell. Kind of uh, retroactively add the, the Elias stuff back in. And I, th- I think it's it's doing it's making me feel like Perrin has a lot to do. And to develop this Wolf Brother situation, like we we just need more because right, it was so like underserved in the first. Season. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and to as much as I think it was so cool in the book to see Rand, Matt and Perrin back together on this journey, on this trek to go find the horn. 
I thought it was I thought it was fine that they split them up and did what they did in, in this first half of the season. I don't know that we're going to get a ton of chances throughout the rest of the story to have our those three characters together because it seems like they have some important roles to play. Uh, so that, you know, there's a loss of that. But then at the same time, we get to focus in on like it's really Perrin's story on this journey to to find the horn. And then like Matt is kind of. I guess he's kind of iced a little bit. He's kind Matt of... doesn't do a whole lot in these opening episodes, man. We get a little bit of him later on. We'll touch in on, but yeah, especially early on, we we we. I think we get a glimpse of him. He's been imprisoned by Leandrin. It mm-hmm. seems like he went to her after departing the group to go like get you know the situation with the the his connection to the dagger dealt with. Um, there maybe was a flash of that in season one. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. Yeah, I do know Moiraine put the word out that the Red Aja needed to find Matt, and it seems that they did. Yeah, I guess they did, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's just kind of a prisoner right now. Um, before we leave episode one behind, I think one other thing here is at the end, we see the scene where Moiraine gets attacked by some fades. Now, in the book, this is like a Drakkar, um, mm-hmm. and Lan and um, this Jame character come and, and kill the Drakkar together. Um, it's this other warder, older warder. Um, and again, they they have a similar sequence here, but like this whole dynamic has been changed because Moraine in the show has been blocked from the source. Yeah, she got blocked from the source from um, Ashamael when she like did battle with him, and that didn't happen in the books. So their whole dynamic is very different because we get this conversation in the books about like if something's going to happen to me, I'm going to pass your bond onto somebody else. Well, that's a lot more present right now because it seems like Moraine to me is actively trying to push Lan away and doing whatever she can to get him to want to break up their partnership on his own. I think because she realizes that that's going to be better for him. And he also just would never do it without her forcing him out otherwise. Right. Like she, and she doesn't want to have to do that to him. And she's, I think we're, we haven't got that confirmed yet, but that's where I'm at with it is I think Moraine is, is trying to drive him away so that, she thinks like because she doesn't have an attachment to the power now, he needs to be with an Aes Sedai who does. You know, I think that's where she's at. And I think it makes it a little neater um, as far as what I th- assume is happening is eventually uh, Lan ends up with with as Nynaeve's ward is just my that's my theory of how where this is going. I, I don't know how Robert Jordan would handle it because I haven't been to that part of the novels yet. But I think that this makes it so that it's like a, an easier break and an easier way to, to like move over. But at the same time. I don't know that that's going to happen very quickly. I don't know that yeah. it's going to be like within the season that he's going to. Well, that's pretty tragic, Moraine. right? Like it, Moraine and Lan are kind of the heart of the show to me, and they have such an interesting relationship because we know in the show, at least, and and I think somewhat in the books, it's it's pretty much confirmed that it is not romantic, but it is this very deep love that they have for each other and respect that they have for each other. And their their dynamic is just so interesting to me. And like, I love just every little bit we get of that. And we hear about the story about Lan throwing her in a pond. And like, that's right out of the book. And then that comes into the show. And I thought that was cool to hear that. And just the idea of these two not being together. Like, it's it's sad. Yeah. Plus, Lan is like, so he's so honorable. Like, he, we would never let this happen. He's like, yeah, he, he would, would stay with her no matter what. He, even yeah. if she wasn't. And I said, he swore an oath. Yeah, exactly. I do like that he gets to like he comes into battle and like tries to do his best here, but like they ultimately both are gonna fail, and then and then they get saved in the last minute by Varen and uh, Adelius, I believe her name is. Yeah, and and uh, and, and, and James. But he does get to have some <laughs> badass combat, which you know I think I've been I've been pretty happy with the combat in the show this so far, and even some He's of the magic. He's looking strong, was, man. There's yeah. that scene, that early scene where uh, that uh, Delius or whatever yeah, it is is kind of ogling him. Yeah, he's looking Jack. pretty. He's pretty buff. I think he's been working yeah. out. 
Definitely, yeah. <laughs> I continue to really like Daniel Henney as Lan. I think he's killing it. The other thing, another theory that I'll just throw out there is that I think that there's no chance that Moiraine stays powerless the rest of the show. I think that there's they're doing some interesting work with Loghain and Moiraine both being uh, sort of cut off from the source, and maybe there's some some uh, answers there that they can figure out to to get some some abilities back get that restored that's interesting um before we leave the episode one behind i do think they we we first see celine here we first see rand with celine we find out that he's basically shacked up with this woman that she seems to be the owner of an inn that he's staying at and they're just in a like romantic sexual relationship now and um that's just dropped on people and and again i know what this is uh, because i know who celine is but like as a show watcher, how do you like? How do you think people are hit by this? Like, it probably comes out of left field, and they're like, "What the hell? I thought that he was in love with Egwene, and like, you know, I thought that there was all this other romance building with him." But I still don't think you are ready for Celine, and and some of that I think is by design. I think they do want you to be a little bit like bewildered, like, "Who the hell is mm-hmm. this?" They want you to just assume a bunch of stuff has happened off page, and when we yeah. see Rand, he's clearly like he's coming to this town, or he's a part of this town now, and he's kind of trying to have a low profile. He doesn't want to like he, he's not out there like at the at the beginning of the f- second book he like knows what he is because moraine keeps telling him and he knows that he wants to go after the horn so he has like a quest whereas here he's like kind of trying to lay low and then maybe you could assume off page that he's like found someone and wants to settle down and live like a normal but then we get the reveal that he's like obviously like leveraging his way to Loghain. Yeah, which, you know, you assume he wants to learn from Loghain or something or talk to him. Or and something. I really thought we were going to get more of that. The sword master, the, uh, the blade master that was like old and kind of. Oh, yeah. That guy. In, in, that he, he talks. About, I was like, oh, cool. This would be this would be a cool way for Rand to get some of the, the blade master techniques because he talks and he specifically names like, uh, you know, cutting the barley or some yeah. of the attacks, which I, I think are very classically Wheel of Time. Like that felt yeah. very Robert That's Jordan. very Robert Jordan. Yeah, it's interesting. I assume he'll come back at some point. I hope it so. It doesn't yeah. seem like that character is just gone now. Although maybe, I don't know. I hope so. They move on from stuff pretty quickly in this show. So who knows? So moving into episode two here, Strangers and Friends. Moiraine and Lan recover after the attack from the Fades and prepare to leave for the White Tower, despite Moiraine being exiled by the Amerlin. While on their way there, Varen deduces that Moiraine found the Dragon Reborn and intends to serve him no matter what. Meanwhile, Rand has gone into hiding at the Foregate in Kyrian and been taken in by an innkeeper named Selene, whom he has developed a romantic relationship with. He works at an asylum and manages to gain access to the false dragon Loghain, a patient there. At the White Tower, Leandrin pushes for Nynaeve to undergo the testing and become an accepted, which would allow Leandrin to train her. Alana protests, but leaves the tower to aid Moiraine. Meanwhile, Egwene befriends Elaine Tricand, the daughter heir of Andor and fellow novice. Nynaeve follows Leandrin through a secret passage in the tower and sees her caring for a sick man. Matt befriends Min, who Leandrin has also locked up, and Min has a vision of Matt stabbing Rand, which she keeps to herself. Moiraine releases Lan from her service, claiming that he can't protect her anymore, and has Alana and her warders escort him to the tower. Perrin and the Shinarans find the site of a massacre where innocent people have been slaughtered and a fade nailed to a wall. They later arrive at a small village, which is attacked by a Shanchan force soon after. Perrin, Loyal, and the Shinarans are captured, and the Shanchan leader, Suroth, arrives along with Ishmael. So... I can just assume this Sean Chen stuff is uh, probably not in book two, but I think we've heard 
rumblings in the book about like the west like some people landing out there yeah there's just been rumors about it and and i don't i don't remember for sure when we first meet the shanjin but yeah this is definitely moving some stuff up from later episodes or from later books i find it Um, very intriguing i think if they wanted to ramp up the intrigue i'm like oh yeah bring in some you know invading force they have some history they're here to claim some land that's theirs like i'm like okay that's you know i think there's They're, they're giving me more battlefields and more more fronts to to think about. Well, while we're talking about them, what did you think of that whole interaction? That whole um, they're at this town and then it gets invaded and everybody gets captured and yeah, and we wild. see them introduced and they come up with this giant like pyramid looking palanquin thing that yeah. you know that comes walking up in. Yeah, what did you very think? Very cool. That? Visually interesting, cool characters. They you know who they are. They're very different from any we've seen so far. They got some, they got some badass looking masks and stuff. I really like the costuming. They, and then they like to off. slaughter. I think his name's Uno, right? They slaughter the hell out of that him by sticking yeah, his head through Uno a gets, stake. Gets, gets the spike. I'm for this amount of this level of violence in this. I, I don't know if that's if this is is tonally not in keeping with Wheel of Time, but I know that they're trying to capture some of the the Game of Thrones audience here. With the you know Rand being in a sexual relationship and yeah the, the and the show continues to do this it has occasional moments of like hyper violence and gore yeah and it still comes out of nowhere a little bit for me like the the rest of the show just doesn't sell that like that's the kind of show it is and yeah. then all of a sudden you'll see some insane gore like that that impale moment is horrific and then they show like the the over the head like bird's eye view of his head impaled you see multiple angles of it it's not like a yeah. quick thing and and cut away the jaw split open and just yeah. like it's 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 horrifying and like that's the kind of stuff that like every now and again you get in this show um it's a weird it, it just i don't know it, it it seems like if you're going to have a show like that it like almost needs to be more tonally in line with that I don't know. It's it's again like I think you're saying that they're they're just really going for it because they want it to be like no no this is an adult show and we're gonna do this like really crazy graphic violence because well and, and even yeah. even more so than it being like tonally uh, sort of shifting tone back and forth. I, I want to know do, is it in keeping like does Robert Jordan's work ever veer into this territory? I mean, you could argue that sometimes it does. Like we saw a little bit of it in book two, right? With like when they see the the um, village and we hear about all the people who got massacred and we see the Mirdral staked. Yeah. But I don't know that it quite goes this far. It almost feels like they're pushing it even farther. And it's just something different about reading it versus seeing it, you know? Yeah. Well, overall, I, I thought that was a cool interaction. I definitely could yeah. feel that it was a, a different part of the story that was being brought up. They really, to me, were evoking, um, uh, God, what's his name? Xerxes from 300. I was getting strong Xerxes <laughs> yeah, yeah, vibes. The Persians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the, in the film 300. In 300 um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a similar kind of like, they uh, clearly they have a bunch of slaves. Um, they are like very much in, in like they're, oh, the they're swearing is to like serve and obey and yeah. like they're, they're like enslaving people. They have like magic users that are tapping into the source that are like gagged. They have like a mouth yes. thing in and they're they're being like they're like the people behind them are like chan- like doubling their power by like channeling the power out of those people and then, you know, reusing re- it is what okay. I am interpreting. What's well, happening. no, I think mean, it's cool that you picked up on yeah. all that because like, yeah, I, I mean, like I, that, that is basically what's going on. I wasn't clear how how obvious that was. Yeah, we show, saw so some of that in season one with with Egwene and Nynaeve being sort like somebody that they were they were uh, you know, allowing their power to, to be channeled into this other Aes Sedai up in the near the you know borderlands or whatever it's called up there, the blight. Yeah, really interesting to see. What, I mean, it's cool that they've brought them so far up in the in the plot. So I am curious to see like what that does now because 
they're here so much sooner. <laughs> like it's yeah. like they're they're present for so much more now, basically yeah. because they're here now already doing all of this stuff, yeah. um, interacting like with Perrin and everybody, and like it, it's just you know. Leandrin tell this is jumping to like probably the fourth episode we're going to talk about, but Leandrin yeah. tells Nynaeve and Nynaeve tells tells um, Egwene. So like there there's like immediate implications that are going to happen. It seems for the story. Uh, but yeah. that got cut off, so we'll, we'll revisit that in a little bit. I want to talk about Matt and Min real quick, because okay, uh, we haven't seen a ton of Matt, and he's like chiseling his way through. He's like I said, he's got like kind of a clever vibe. Funny. Do you remember Min from from the books and from season one? <laughs> I do, and I was excited because I I remember you saying like, "What do you think about this character?" And that kind of flagged to me like, "Oh, I hope this character shows back up because the, the yeah. ability to see visions and future possible futures is pretty cool and powerful, and it seems different than maybe what." Egwene is developing into which is like some sort of dream foresight uh mm. so yeah Min and then Min being like I thought Min would be sort of a peripheral character for them to pull her in and interact with Matt like this I'm like and and then to tie her into what we see eventually is that she's possibly in line with Leandrin who's possibly also in line with the um Ishmael yeah Min is very cool I always like Min in the books um I she's she's such an interesting character in the sense that she does not have anywhere near the same power level as like all these people around her. She's got this thing she can do where she can see the future. And that of course is powerful in its own way, but she's not a one power wielder in that sense. She's not, you know, some world breaker like all these other characters. And yet, you know, she, she's mixing it up with them. So it's always interesting. And um, this is all, you know, as far as I remember, a lot of this stuff has been added or recontextualized from later books. Um, her being a prisoner and, and meeting Matt this way, you know, this is all kind of changes. Um, so I'm really interested to see how, what, what they're, what they're getting to with this. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm intrigued. Um, it's just a slow trickle right now and it takes a little while to develop, but yeah, we, we get that reveal that she's the one on the other side there. And I was, I was happy to see her, yeah. but I wanted to bring up Elaine Tricond because this is a character that we met in the books when Rand goes to Camelin. Um, he has this whole sequence where he like falls over a wall into her garden and like meets her in the palace and we see her as her like full courtly self right in her in her element here she gets introduced in the white tower and she her, it's kind of a fun little moment where she's got like all this stuff being brought in for all these servants and stuff and and Egwene comes in and is like what is all this stuff? And then she like, it's very, she's very like out of touch, rich girl at, at first. Right. Like she's like, Oh, they'll, I'm sure they'll clear all this rubbish out. And it's like, it's like a green stuff. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then all of her stuff gets removed and she's like going to get punished for it now. But um, what did you think of her inter introduction? And what did you think of the performance that we got here? Maybe it was a necessary cut in, in the first season, but it felt like something that was going to have, again, implications going forward because it seemed like she was going to be a character that, that cropped back up. Um, her being introduced in the show here, I think they're doing a good job of making her likable. I think like, I can tell that she's going to get mixed up in all of this with, with our main cast. Well, we and, hear she's basically as powerful as Egwene, yeah. right? Like her and, and we her heard that in the Gwen book as well. So, like, you know, I, I knew that, that that's kind of something we have going on. I didn't know if that was going to be in a rival sense and maybe it still will be. Or if I, I didn't know if that was going to be in like a friendly way and they'll be all on the same team. Well, I think Which, the, the show initially early on has set them up to be pretty friendly, right? Her and Egwene yeah. have a pretty quick friendship. That I develops. like their I, I like that she she seems like 
she's been isolated and because of that has developed her own like ways to survive and the way that she like you know creates her own alcohol or whatever she's doing using the yeah, source, that's pretty I cool think. right like she's like i can brew my own beer or whatever yeah. this is yeah so yeah, just cool pretty... and then i you know the magic school is not it's it's fun i, I it's not it's i had a lot of expectations for it and so far i just hope they spend enough time there i i am worried that they're going to quickly move on from this we're rushing through it a little bit in yeah. the in the show you know we see like one moment of them learning about the weaves and the and the clearing of the shit water mm-hmm. and like that's really the only like lesson we've seen right like otherwise it's, it's just all been like them like cleaning some halls and stuff and it's implied yeah. that they're they're going to some sort of instruction or something maybe yeah i think the stuff that we get next episode with nynaeve is probably the most interesting stuff we've got in uh from from uh the white tower so yeah, far Tar-Balan. so I'm excited to see more. Leandrin's taking Nynaeve to these arches and she's going to undergo some sort of test to become an accepted. Yeah, that's um, what I was. This it is was... something that hasn't happened yet in the books, but, yeah. um, you know, we'll see how it goes. I was curious to see if, if it would take place the same way, because that's the other fun thing is I don't. Me too, be... because I, I will f- fully admit I don't remember. I have like the faintest of memories of what this was like in the books. It's so long ago I read these things, man, and I don't have a great memory. We're talking. I don't know, 20, it has to be 20 years ago now that I read this book. So it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Can't believe you don't remember every chapter, you know, <laughs> and every little uh, thing that happened. Yeah. This is the stuff I was alluding to in the White Tower with Nynaeve that I thought was some of the most interesting and, and did a lot of character work for Nynaeve and did a lot to show like what the Aes Sedai have to go through and some of the backstory of like, it seems that all the Aes Sedai have to have to go through this, this face their fears stuff. So let's, let's move yeah. into that now. Episode three is called What Might Be. Rand asks Loghain to teach him how to control the One Power without going mad. However, Loghain agrees to help only if Rand brings him a bottle of Galdean wine. Rand accompanies Selene to a party for Kyrianan nobles to get the wine. After Rand receives the wine, Loghain reveals that the power can't be controlled. Later, Rand accidentally sets fire to Selene's inn with the One Power. Perrin and the Shinarans are commanded to swear fealty to the Shanchan. One of the Shinarans, Uno, refuses and is gruesomely executed forcing the others to give in. Ishmael becomes interested in Perrin and encourages him to unleash his inner beast, but Elias and a pack of wolves save Perrin. Nynaeve undergoes her accepted test, which involves facing trials inside Terangriel arches. However, she seemingly fails after choosing a life with Lan inside the arches over becoming an Aes Sedai. Leandrin and the other Aes Sedai believe Nynaeve to be dead, and Elaine has to comfort a grieving Egwene. Leandrin releases Matt, seemingly to comfort Egwene, which he opts not to do, but also has Min follow him. Inside the arches, Nynaeve's life with Lan is ruined by a trollic attack, and she escapes back to the real world where a shocked Egwene embraces her. And we know it's a dream because Lan can't kill two trollics or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> he gets, somehow gets bested by like three trollics. Well, he let his hair down. And Matt all there. And they just yeah. all get slaughtered. And it seems like a few years have gone on too, so you would think that their powers would have developed in general. But yeah, Lan left let his hair down, so that's supposed to signal he's not as tough now. Yeah, uh, he's like so. some sort of like comfortable and at home. And yeah. so he let his guard down and those yeah. But yeah, we knew we knew it was a dream. There was also the whole thing about the arches will only reveal themselves one time for you to leave. And they we kind of saw that moment go by with Lan and she decided to continue on in the arches. Um, interesting that it showed up twice for her, but I think it's based on her abilities or her, her power or something's going on. There. Yeah. It's mysterious as to why that happened. Um, I, I wanted to say like, and give them credit. They did a cool little misdirect with the third arch where it seems like she's come out and she just was like flying through the like darkness and she comes out covered in blood and she can't remember what happened. 
and then she's like i'm leaving and she she you know she gets the whole like water poured on her and everything and she says i'm out of the you know i'm out and she storms out and then she like runs into lan on the on the road and they have this like reconnection moment and as soon as she saw lan on the road that's where i realized that we were still in the arch yeah and she turned back and there was like a ripple there and you're like okay well, well yeah yeah eventually there. but i mean like it, you're saying like once you saw him at the beginning of the scene as yeah, soon I guess as I, I saw lan i was like she's still in the arch yeah i didn't i didn't i don't think i picked up on that necessarily but uh i was like yeah this is weird i'm surprised that she would turn down being an Aes Sedai. it seems like she's like kind of destined to be one and just as a as a as another guess pretty much destined to be a red aja is is what i'm picking up on here gonna she possibly be... seems to be courting this whole thing with leandrin leandrin is trying to recruit her we get an idea that that's going to be a thing that some of these Aes Sedai are going to try and recruit her because she's like the most powerful woman to come in you know however many thousands of years yeah and they're like holy shit we got to get her on our, on in our side and our jaw because then we'll all of a sudden be the most powerful yeah she seems to fit the personality type as well and i think that leandrin's giving us i think it's a misdirect i think leandrin's giving us this idea of what red aja are like but we're only really seeing her i think that we're going to get Nynaeve being like the ideal red aja who doesn't take a now that's interesting too to think about like a red aja typically don't take warders but i think she could be a red aja that does take a warder and land a lot of a lot of stuff that I'm, I'm trying to guess on here but yes they typically do not take warders i don't know if that is like a rule or if that's just like habit or, or okay. like uh like because they hunt one of their main things is they keep saying they hunt men they hunt men who that's can their whole thing is they hunt men who can and channel so also yeah. if she becomes a red aja that would kind of put her at odds with rand you would think right in the in the traditional sense of a red aja i think that there's right. some things are going to be upheaved here but um, so you do think that's where she's headed do you think she's going to join the red I do. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I do think she will. That's that's a bold claim that I'll make. And she, they, they, she has a lot of red. I think we even see a vision in, in maybe through the she's gate. Wearing at one point. She's wearing red. So that's yep. maybe a signal to that as well. Interesting. Yeah, I, I won't say anything about that. Um, Speaking of red, I got to I got to I think this is kind of a book reader moment. But um, Rand is wearing this red coat when he goes to Kyrian to that mm -hmm. party. It's very elaborate. It's like a bright red with this like golden like animals on it. I think yeah, it's supposed kingly. to be like herons and stuff. It's very yeah. kingly and rich. And um, this looked so perfect to me. Pitch perfect of like what I imagined his coat looks like. He wears a coat like this a lot in the oh, books. Cool. Yeah. Um, especially later on. And it was really cool to see him in it here. It just like really evoked the character for me. And I think that was just a little thing for book readers to be like, okay, I see where, where we're headed one day. One day, day he him. may become very, yeah. uh, very, very kingly and noble. Or it whatever. was very cool. Um, and I, I, so let's talk about Celine here a little bit. So Natasha O'Keefe is playing Celine. I thought she was doing a pretty good job. Like I was enjoying the character. Um, my wife had problems with her, her, her wig, she says, was, was like giving her fits every time she saw it it didn't bother me it's not something i noticed um and i think the performance was pretty good you know i think uh it, again it's a weird place to put us because we she, we're like who the hell is this woman but i guess like you can kind of start to warm to her because they have this moment where she's talking about someone she used to love and how she um she's able to forget about him and sort of move on oh wait, no did she say Rand helps her remember and then she's helping Rand forget. I, they have this whole like dynamic where something about helping that, yeah. each other. Um, what what do, what do you think of that? Knowing what you know now, <laughs> I guess. I mean, we're getting kind of ahead of, ahead of ourselves a little bit with this character. But like, do you sure. think any of that's true? Uh, sure. Yeah. 
I think that like having the Forsaken be more complex than just like, you know, one dimensional evil beings who follow like there's probably a reason they they look to the darkness. They We've already gotten hints that maybe the darkness Ishmael keeps telling people like, oh, the darkness is the only thing that can ha- help you with this. Min specifically, I think he says to Min, uh, the darkness is the like no Aes Sedai can help you get rid of the visions. Only the dark one can. Um, so, you know, that idea of like only if you only knew the power of the dark side, Luke. Yeah. Uh, kind of thing is is you know happening here, totally. But uh, but so you're saying like so maybe this this whole thing about her being in love with somebody previously is I true. I see it. Yeah, yeah. Why not? I okay. think uh, long, long ago. But I say it, it it would have had to have been a long time ago, right? Yeah, thousands yeah. of or however long, however old these people are. I don't know. I I don't you know. I don't have a ton of details. But yeah. Any thoughts about who that could be? Who who could be the person she loved? The, yeah. You think it's somebody we know we would know? Maybe we only know a few old people though. Like we, we know of like uh the Hawk Hawkwing guy, Archer Hawkwing, yeah. Which is a book maybe only things at this point. He's been mentioned, I think, in the show. In yeah. the show, okay. There's some former false dragons. Yeah, there's been. Some, we've yeah. had some names from. Oh, people, so people so back that was then. another question I had for you. Was he a false dragon? I never. I I couldn't tell if he was a false dragon or if he was because like, Archer Hawkwing. I don't yeah. think so. Because uh, if if there's been you know multiple turnings of the wheel, obviously there were other like dragons. Was he another with another dragon before either either even lose? Their you're you're asking some great lore questions that I wish I knew the answers to, man. I'm not I'm not well versed enough on the lore to tell you for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe, anyway, maybe people can answer in the comments who know because I'm sure people know. Yeah. Um. Know. You know, was Archer Hawkwing one of the one of the dragons at any point? Because I want to say Rand is the first time that the dragon has been reborn since Luz. Since Luz Theron. Yeah. But I might be wrong about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, <laughs> and know. like I just know like there's 14 books, so at some point we're gonna get details about dragons who were older than Luz Theron Telamon as well, lore wise, like so people who who impacted history in ways. And because this wheel weaves and it repeats and all that stuff, like, you know, there's there's some cool stuff that I'm sure I'll be excited to get going forward. Um, yeah, as far as your question, I don't know that I have the information to answer who who she was in love with. But it, uh, in the book, I, I was still yeah. guessing who she was. And then this at the end of episode four uh, yeah. reveals her to be one of the Forsaken. Yeah, Lanfear. Lanfear, yeah. Lanfear's her name. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, let's we'll circle back to that when we get to that episode. But I wanted to ask you a little bit more about these tests. And narratively, if we can talk about craft here for a minute. I think it's what, what do you think is going on with these tests? Why are they the way they are? What purpose do they serve? Um, as far as the arches, the tests and the yeah, arches? As far, yeah, yeah. Nynaeve going through these arches and facing her fears. Like, what are we yeah. learning about her? What are we learning about her as a character? Her as a character. So she has the first thing she faces is her family, her, her dad and her mom or yeah, her dad and her mom are both killed and she doesn't do anything about it. And she she's, drops una- and she's unable to help them. So I think that's the fear I picked up on there is like this inability to save some the people you love and you like love, actually yeah. yeah. And then the second one, what was the second one again? The second one was she goes back to two rivers and she meets Tam again, which we oh, the yeah. first time we've seen Tam and he's yeah. sick and he's got the plague and like there's like an illness that's broken out. He's dead in the book but alive in the show. Am I right in remembering that? Unclear. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, unclear what exactly happened to tam okay he was basically left for dead in the book okay yeah yeah cool and i think in the show too but i'm I'm not i'm I'm, i can't remember for sure but what fear is being shown here then yeah good question um she supposedly failed rand right this is tam confronting her about like taking care of rand maybe that's what's going on here yeah it's interesting because uh tam kind of 
forgives her for all of that and he's like just stay with me while i'm while i die because she's trying to channel and she can't yeah again it's like another moment where she can't quite help people that she cares about but we've expanded it out beyond her immediate family and this is now the people of two rivers i think specifically oh that's and a good the, point. like the yeah. larger community and like where she's from her home she's unable to help them now yeah um, and, that, that, and she was the she was the was the wisdom before where she was helping everybody she's used yeah, to that exactly yeah and then we get the third one and the third one is prop you know probably the most interesting because it's the one she gets trapped in um it is this like idealized life where she's with lan and they have a child together and she says that like she was there for years so this isn't like some like little dream like she's living this life for years because time, you know, happens differently over there. Um, before she, again, she gets like a second chance to get, to escape. And then she does. But she does after Lan and Perrin and Matt are all killed. And she, and she has her child with her and takes her through the arches. But then the child disappears. Um, what, do you, what do you make of this whole dream of hers? And like, what does that mean for yeah. Nynaeve? What does that reveal to us about Nynaeve? Trauma. She's got new <laughs> trauma like that, that, you know, it's, it's giving us like, is this real or is it not? And does that matter if somebody lived it? Uh, she's, you know, it's, I don't think it was real. I'm pretty certain it wasn't real, even though she could come back with injuries and things like that. But to her, she did have a daughter. That's years that have gone by that she lived with Lan. That's how she's going to see, she's going to see Lan differently now because of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, to lose your daughter, to come through there and like the, the how brutal that is for her to be on the other side without her daughter who you know you yeah love and she's child. the first person to have spent that long on the other side of the arches and come back because yeah. like other other women who've had this happen have just been lost to the arches and never come the back. other Aes Sedai that were there like waiting for her to like fail each time or, or to, to come back each time they um they were like oh shit yeah she's dead and they like left her for dead at that point yeah, she was left away. for dead yeah, so, and so this is all playing out at the same time that Elaine and and Egwene are are becoming closer. I like I like what what um what Elaine's doing here. Um, I, I like the performance. I like that she she immediately has that like yes, she has lived a sheltered life. Yes, she has um been the daughter heir, right? And like had all these expectations thrust upon her, and she's used to a certain sort of lifestyle. But she's so positive and she's talking about how like she knows the history of like the Aes Sedai and how these two great Aes Sedai and, you know, from from years past, you know, met because they were novices together. And she's like, who knows, maybe we'll be the next great pair and and all this stuff to to uh, Egwene, which also kind of mimics the whole Wheel of Time, like stuff being cyclical thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's she's I think she provides a nice counterbalance to Egwene. Right. Like they they have different personalities immediately and i like the way that they are sort of intersecting here um one criticism that i will admit is not something that i noticed as much on my first read through but i've heard a lot of women talk about and there are a lot of women who love wheel of time don't get me wrong but um i have heard some women say that they find a lot of robert jordan's women to be written as like a very particular kind of woman and that kind of woman takes many different forms, but it's all like the same kind of woman over and over again in his books. Um, and I feel like I can see what they're saying. Like, there's a certain mode a lot of them go into when they're being their like aggressive, like assertive selves. Um, this plays out throughout the entire series. I do think the show is doing a better job of like differentiating and giving us more variety in the personality types 
and um, the characters that we're seeing, and especially in the women characters. I, I think the show has done a good job, and I want to give them props for that, of really differentiating these people and making them seem um, very unique. And 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 uh, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to cast shade on Jordan's characters because I think you could argue that that's just like the culture of the world that he's established, and maybe that's why they behave that way. Yeah, it's something and, I've heard a criticism I've heard from people. And I can see it, and, and maybe it's also partially to do with like the what Robert Jordan came up in and like his his worldview is slightly I mean, different. Ultimately, he's one dude, right? Now. Like, yeah. And so authors uh, aren't gods. They they are still limited by their experiences. Yeah. So I am glad to see. And, and again, like he had the three to veer in, be the be the three, be the the three boys. And in this yep. case, he they, they've changed it to be these five. And I think that, you know, that that's good. That's good efforts being made there. I want to see them make good on all of this with their with their women characters, like all the way through. I want them to have like really fulfilled filling storylines but there it seems like they're they're making some some uh you know suitable changes it's one of the great things about adaptations i think is when you when you bring on all these different writers and and you know a showrunner and now all of a sudden now it's this big group effort and you can use different people's strengths and you can have actors who come in and can bring something to characters and really bring them to life. And like that's one of the beautiful things about adaptations that we see time and again. Yeah. Um, as much as we love like that singular vision of an author there's also something cool about it when it becomes something that has now got all these different perspectives coming into it. And I think we're seeing that here. Uh, and it's for the most part is working well. And I've heard that Robert Jordan uh, blended a lot of multicultural stuff and like many different religions into his stories. And I didn't, I, I don't know that I've read enough to see that very well yet, but I think the show is signaling that as well. Like it seems more, yeah. it's not just this like European uh sort of look at fantasy it seems like it is blending in a lot of different cultures slowly granted like but like you know with the introdu introduction of the the shan 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 and and some of the like min stuff you can see that there's a, like almost different f forms of magic for different cultures seemingly but it's all s tapping into the one source still so some interesting like religious yeah. allegory and we haven't gotten there. have we gotten the tuathlon at all the the tinkers we got yeah. any of them in the show that's the the pacifist right yeah. Yeah. We got them in the uh, first season a little bit. Oh, you're right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I mean, there's that there's, they got the, um, the Shinarans. I think they have a kind of a cool flair to them. Like they have a lot of katanas and they're very kind of Eastern inspired, I would say, yeah. um, you know, somewhat. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the perfect, you know, no way to but do am, this, I, but it's, I, I just like it again. It's like broadening the scope out from like your very traditional, yeah. um, you know, knights in armor, like we're expecting to see from a lot of these medieval fantasies. And I guess I just wanted to note that because uh, that's Jordan writing. It seems like that influence has come from his work and we haven't seen a ton of that yet, but I've heard that that is something that, that uh, uh, you know, crops up in the Wheel of Time. Definitely. I think, and I think that is the strength of his writing, uh, you know, to give him some credit. I think that, that is something he does well. So episode four is called Daughter of the Night. Moiraine arrives in Kyrian where she meets Loghain and offers to end his life if he helps her train Rand. In the White Tower, Nynaeve has been trained as an accepted following her trial in the Arches. Leandrin tells Nynaeve of Perrin's capture by the Shanshan, which leads to Nynaeve, Egwene, and Elaine sneaking out of the tower to mount a rescue. They are, however, quickly ambushed and subdued by Leandrin. Meanwhile, Perrin and Elias look for the Shinarans and Loyal, and Perrin bonds with the wolf Hopper and learns that he is what is called a wolf brother. Min is approached 
at an inn by Ishmael, who reveals he is working with Leandrin and offers to rid her of her visions if she brings Matt to Kyrian. Lan stays with Alana and her warders who attempt to help him through losing his bond with Moiraine. Alana finds a prophecy that reveals that the forsaken Lanfear has returned to the world. Meanwhile, Rand and Selene have left Kyrian for a trip to the countryside, where a fade attacks them. Rand kills it with the one power and confesses his love for Selene, who chooses to stay with him despite his ability to channel and eventually reveals that she also has the ability. Before she can do anything, Moiraine arrives, given Rand's location by her sister Anver, and stabs Selene, who she reveals is Lanfear. Rand and Moiraine flee as Lanfear starts to recover from her wounds. Okay, uh, this is our final episode we're covering here. Um, this is a cool one, man. Um, I, I liked a lot of what's going on here. We haven't talked much about Alana, this green who's in this, you know, poly relationship with her two warders. There's yeah. some pretty funny moments throughout with this. Like there's a moment where Eggwing walks in on them. It's great. It's um, really we hear some pretty funny discussions happening around tables and stuff about it. <laughs> I specifically, the, the part where Egwene comes back and she's asking how to do two things at once as far as like, you yeah. know, like <laughs> channeling with the earth and the air or the water or whatever yeah. it was. And then she's like, well, just focus on your own pleasure and da, 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 that kind of stuff. And then she's yeah. like, she's like, no, no, no. I was talking about the channeling, not the, the three way that you were having. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's your first. We, we talked a lot about the different Ajahs, um, and you kind of mentioned you hadn't really got a good sense of them yet. And I think we settled on um, brown for me and green for you. Um, this yeah. is the first world green we've been introduced to. What, are you, what is your take on the greens here now that you've actually met one? <laughs> I think there's a Maybe small we saw, sample size. We saw a bit of this in the first season, but you know, we got to know him a little more here. Small sample size. Um, not really sure. You know what? Uh, and you know, I think it's just my ignorance because there's probably been enough there for me to start picking up more on what each Aja's sort of stereotypes are. But yeah, I'm not sure where the green falls at this point. Um, yeah, like kind of. They're very they're... like. I feel like they're very worldly. They're into like worldly comforts and and you know they're they're sort of uh, Epicurean and and bohemian in a way um okay. but they're also like the fighters like they're on the front lines they are doing battle directly with the dark one i think that's why they have m multiple warders because they're often losing them in battle oh wow. um okay. they're they're kind of the fighters of the of the of the um the white tower and the blues are always to me like a little they're very similar but they tend to work more in the shadows they're like long-term planners mm -hmm. um they're they're a little bit more po political i think and less like front lines doing battle themselves yeah as as the greens are oh speaking of, in yellow tends to be healers and that kind of healers, thing I, yeah. I did see Nynaeve have like she seems to also like healing so i could see her becoming i'm going to stick by my my statement of her being red but she seems like uh really fascinated by the healing and then it, it, she does that massive heal blast in the first season where she heals like an entire room of people so there's that too yeah uh there's also the whites and the grays which are both kind of similar let's see if i can get this right the grays are like diplomats essentially they tend to remain neutral and they go around and they help like different countries uh, like negotiate things with e with the, each other mm -hmm. um they're kind of just like white white tower diplomats and then the whites i think are much more into like philosophy um but also they're kind of similar to the grays in some way in my mind and then and then we, yeah, we got the browns who are into research and the history and our and secret the, our secret aja that i don't even think they've talked about in and then the we got show the reds yet. and then we got the black aja which is the the rumored extra aja that exists within the white tower that no one talks about that is uh you know aligned with the dark one 
Not even sure if that's been mentioned in the show, but it's definitely yeah, been mentioned in the book. So one thing I really liked here is this Moraine stuff where she has come to stay with her younger sister, yeah. who is actually like this old woman that we've met, that Rand actually met at the party. Um, and we find out that that's Moraine's uh, younger sister who has grown old and we see the like effects of how the power slows your aging. Um which did we know? Did you know that from the books? Do you remember that? Or is that no. kind of new to you? I don't think I think that was all new information. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about them being ageless, but like I, I feel like the show has done more to like show the realities of what that would be like. Yeah. Than the books oh, do, uh, at least early on. And specifically what I'm saying is that they that we definitely didn't know is Moiraine's backstory stuff. We, we haven't gotten any of that in, in the books. Yeah. I'm confident in that. I really like the way that played out, how she was still kind of treating her as like pretty unimportant like she's just like i'm just gonna come stay with you you know you're gonna be mad at me for leaving you know you've done a good job with the house whatever mm -hmm. i don't really care and then i like the reveal of like she's like you know all these people who you think you want to talk to and you've been seeking out like i know exactly who you're approaching and if you want to talk to them you need to talk to me because i'm the one who has like developed all these connections over the years and she she kind of proves herself to be a lot more capable than moraine was given her credit for and i thought that was just like a cool sister moment yeah, I, it's cool to see Moiraine. She's been humbled. She no longer has her powers. She is still seeing the world as yeah, if she did. Yeah, she's kind of bluffing the whole time she's there, right? Yeah. Like, she puts on the outfit, and she's like, I'm an Ace Sedai, and I'm walking around, because she is, but she also had, doesn't have any power. Right. And the the sisters just had enough. And, it, you know, at some point, somebody might be your older sister, but if they're not acting rationally, you guys are on level playing field. There's no there's no power dynamic really there anymore, other than the fact that she was an Aes Sedai. But, um... Yeah, I liked seeing the sister stand up for herself. And, and this is another Leandrin having a son is the other thing we get as far as the, them being ageless. Yeah, and another sign that. of that. Yeah, he's he was really old. 90 dude, years old son. son. So, yeah, they're both quite old. Well, and she talks about how that's like one of the curses of being an Aes Sedai is that you have to like watch all the people you knew and loved age and, and yeah. die. It's kind of similar to the being a vampire. <laughs> yeah. And part of the reason maybe why they don't have many, they're more removed from society uh, other than their warders. They seem yeah. to be like pretty not quick to make connections. We've talked about this a bunch of times on other episodes, so I won't go too far into it here, but like being someone who could live hundreds of years amongst a, a bunch of people who would live normal lifespans, it is such an advantage. Like you yep. would be essentially uh, like a demigod to them. Yeah, intellect-wise, power and your knowledge and yeah. everything. Like they would be demigods walking around, basically. Totally. Yep. Yeah. And that's outside of the fact that they have powers. Yeah, and they, and they also have powers. <laughs> um, let's also get into Rand and his like he has like a, I guess they call it a nocturnal emission. Or <laughs> 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 he burns the end down. I mean, it's uh, you know. <laughs> Because basically he channels in his dream and he wakes up and he's channeling in real life. <laughs> yeah. That's what and it he was. accidentally burns the end down. Um, and then he goes off with Celine. And um, we get this whole reveal about her being Lanfear. What did you think of this reveal? Like, how did it play for you? I knew she was kind of nefarious in the in the book. I had a, a sneaking suspicion. And I was curious if a character named Celine was going to be exactly the same as she was in the book. But as time went on, I was like, oh, yeah, she's she's got like a... It, it, she she acted like she didn't know that he was channeling up to that point, but I felt like yeah. she obviously knew. And it's just, oh yeah, she was, knew who he was. It was more clear. Um, I think that she did a good job of seducing him in in a way because I think in the book I was I was like, oh, she's just so beautiful that she. It was clear you that and... it was like a magical seduction in the book. Yeah. I think right, like she's like basically casting a spell on all of them. Yeah. Um, 
in not so many words, but like it became pretty obvious they were bewitched by her in some way. Whereas mm-hmm. here, it did seem more like she's preying on his she's emotion, just being wily, and like yeah, actually she... understanding how to manipulate this young young dude. <laughs> yeah, and she's preying on his emotion, the fact that like he's lonely, he's away from yeah. Egwene, that kind of stuff, and it's just like we we get get a good idea that she she's definitely got something else going on. But then yeah, they're revealed they're like mid sex and then she gets like <laughs> no, stabbed I thought, by, although yeah. apparently not apparently not it was just like yeah dry humping and then and then uh yeah she gets stabbed through the back she gets stabbed and her throat rain. gets slit yeah and <laughs> blood all over all over ran and he's like oh god another moment of just like insane violence that comes out of nowhere can we just talk about how rosman pike has like a sex scene in in another movie where where somebody's like <laughs> we murdered <have> yeah <laughs> we can't spoil anything i won't yeah. spoil it but like cool. yeah she's good at yeah. killing people mid-sex i guess Apparently quite good at that. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely definitely a wild, wild sequence of events. Um, I did like how they they set her up as this, like, blood-covered figure that Ashamael had, like, pulled out of one of these, um, behind one of these seals. And we, we got her introduced at the start of the episode, and then we get the reveal that that's her. Um, pretty cool. And we get the sense that she, I think we even see her starting to, like, heal and stuff. So, like, this hasn't killed her. Yeah, um, she's gonna be. She's gonna be fine. Like it's too. It's much more difficult than that to kill one of these Forsaken. We do see Rand nuke this fade, f- burns him up pretty pretty handily. No problem there. And I, I will say, I think I, I, I'm starting to come around on how they're doing the magic, and or they're doing a better job of of how they're animating it now. The effects, the yeah. the, the, the strands of elements and how they come together to form the magic that they're using. Um, it's looking pretty cool these days yeah. I'm, I'm starting to like it a lot i was thinking that we at first it was like blue and white light and i think yeah, yeah i'm liking that it's going turning, it's it's turning more like oranges and different people you well, see it's the like black different ones have different elements attached to them so they almost have like different colors and you see them yeah. swirling together sometimes yeah it looks good i think they did a good job with it uh it looks i like how the light reflects all over the characters and stuff it, it, like i'm noticing the details that would have had to go into the production of it uh in terms of like making it look pr- on an actor it's hard to add light like that after the fact you can but it's it's a lot of work so i assume that they're you know they're they're using lights practical lights on the day to to replicate what the what the the strands will then do in post-production yeah, man. Uh, so this is the end of the four episodes we've watched. Um, I, I think this is going pretty well. We got to see how they how they finish this season out. Um, but I think this is solid so far. This is reminding me of like what I liked from the first season. Um, I still think overall I'm I'm more of like this is good, if not like true greatness yet. Um, and and but but I'm interested, man. I'm excited to watch more. I genuinely am enjoying the show. Um, even as there are big changes that I think a lot of book purists might be annoyed by, Robert Jordan series is just so immense that they're going to have to make changes. They're going to have to uh, combine things and bring things up. And that sometimes it's going to feel a little bit rushed and sometimes it's going to feel a little bit shoehorned. And yeah, that, that at times can make things a little clunky. Transitions between things can sometimes not be the smoothest here. I still think the show has a bit of a bit of a sheen to it where it, it sometimes stuff just looks too clean. It looks too fresh out of the, out of the wardrobe for me to believe that this is like, cause I love the costumes. Like they look great, but they're usually just too clean. They look like they're like literally someone just pulled them out of like, a, you know, the, the dry cleaner. They, they look pristine. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, I don't believe they would be in this moment. So there, I still have some, some, you know, 
quibbles and stuff, but like overall, I'm enjoying the show, man. And um, I, I really hope that this does get renewed and that we're going to get more of it because I would love to see these actors and characters grow and and start to go down the roads that I know we can go down later in the series. I think it would be, would be really yeah. interesting to see. Well, get excited because on July 21st of 2022, ahead of the second season premiere, Amazon renewed the series for a third season. So we're definitely oh, getting yeah. a I third didn't know season. That. Yeah, we're getting a third season. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'm really enjoying the show. I, I think that I'm a little biased and predisposed to like it, but I also felt that way about season one to an extent. They're doing enough to where I can see that they're doing good buildup and it's about if the payoffs are worth it. I think season yeah. one had some struggles with that. This is their chance to write the ship. Let's nail this second season, get everybody excited for season three, and then we can get that good buzz really going. And this can become a huge fantasy show, I think. And ultimately it's probably good. Um, speaking of um, characters growing on me, I think it's probably good that Matt didn't have a lot to do and we can just kind of get little bits of seeing him as you know the new actor. Mm-hmm. So that by the time he is ready to do something, the initial like, oh, my gosh, this is a different person has like worn off. We've gotten a little bit more used to him being Matt to where we can start to see Matt start to come into his own. Because I still think Matt and Perrin both feel like they haven't. I don't know. This like haven't really come into their own yet in the show. Um, we've developed a lot of other characters yeah. a lot further than we have them. But like at least Perrin has done some stuff that we're just starting to get a little bit of it. Yeah, here. they have the opportunity to do it here. I think they can. I, I have I have enough faith here. I have, there's enough. They've built up enough goodwill. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, next week, we're going to be back with the, the last half of The Great Hunt uh, by Robert Jordan. And then the, the following week. So two weeks from now, we'll finish up the show. We'll do yeah. the last four episodes of the show. And if you enjoyed this coverage, you enjoyed us uh, talking about Wheel of Time in this way. Please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. And if you're on YouTube, leave a comment for us. We like to engage with people in there in the comments, talk with you guys. Um, that's been a lot of fun. So make sure to subscribe as well on there. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. We're also on uh, Blue Sky, TikTok. Just look everywhere for Ink to Film. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, we have patreon.com slash Ink to Film where we do bonus episodes. We do, uh, we have merch on there. We have our ability to vote on quarterly polls, which we'll have another one coming up here at the end of the year. You can help us select what our one of our future projects is going to be. All that's going to be on Patreon. And thank you to Serious Beat for the use of our intro and outro music. It's the track, The Chosen. All right, we'll be back next week to finish out the book. And until next time, keep adapting. Keep adapting.